But today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And you know, we've been in a sermon series now for several weeks talking about gospel freedom for godly living. And since we've been in this series, we've really talked a lot about what the gospel is and how it works and what it requires of us. But one of the things that we need to understand about the gospel is that the gospel is not just a mere teaching or a theory or something just to be agreed with. The gospel is something that should be lived out. It's something that we should incorporate into our lives every day, that we would live out this way, this, this, this walk that Christ has called us to walk. And I hope that you were doing that today. In today's message, we're going to focus on walking and living out the gospel. And today we're going to talk about how that we should walk in line with the gospel and walk in line with where Christ wants us to be. So if you found your place there in Galatians 2, I want to begin reading now as we read what Paul would have us to see here today. Beginning in verse 11, it says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? The word of God. Well, this past week, we finished a very important study in the life of our church called Life on Mission. And if you were here for that study, I know that you were just as blessed as I was to learn about evangelism and how to share our faith with those who are lost and what the gospel really means and how we can communicate that to the lost world that we live in. And I was really encouraged because at times there were over 70 people there each night. I think we had up in the, up in the 80s with the total number of people who at least, at least were at one session or another. But we averaged right around 65 or 70 every night. And we had a great time together over those five weeks. But you know, if you really understand a lot about sharing the gospel, you know that if you get the courage up to be faithful to what God has called you to do and you share the true message of Christ with the lost world, Not everyone always believes. We've all faced that, haven't we? Not everyone always believes. Some people, it may take a few times or even a lengthy time, and then they believe. But sadly, some people never believe. And when you think about what they usually tell you, there's a lot of excuses that they give about why they don't believe. Some people will say, well, I'm just not sure if the Bible is really true. And there's a lot of religions in the world, and I'm just not sure if Christ is the only way. Others will say, well, I'm just not really ready to give up the sin that's in my life to follow this Savior as he's called me to do. Other people will say things like, well, I really really think I'm okay because I grew up in a church and I really haven't been a part of a church in a really long time, but I feel like I'm okay. And then some will simply say things like, well, I'm just not ready yet. Maybe I can wait a little bit longer and then I'll choose to follow Jesus and be saved. But if you've ever shared the gospel with someone, there's one excuse, one dismissive excuse that you've probably heard above all the rest. And people will say, the church is full of hypocrites. The church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites that that don't live like Christ 
And I don't want to be a part of that. I'm sure if we were to have a show of hands today, many of you would say, yes, I've heard that dismissive phrase used when I've tried to share the gospel. But the sad reality is, is that most of the people that tell you this have a complete misunderstanding of what a hypocrite or hypocrisy is. But sadly, many of them are correct to say that there is hypocrisy in the church. There are times when we are all hypocrites in one way or another. And hypocrisy can be very disastrous in the life of the gospel ministry. It can be deadly. But you know, our culture wrongly defines a hypocrite as simply someone who just doesn't live up to their calling. Someone who occasionally makes a mistake or falls into sin. It's a professing Christian who doesn't really live perfectly according to God's word. Our culture says, well, those people are hypocrites. But that's not what a hypocrite is. The Bible never teaches that after we start following Christ that we are going to live without sin. It never teaches that we're never going to fall into temptation or that we will disobey God. It teaches that we are now not perfect followers of Christ, but we're committed followers of Christ. And that we've been born again in the Spirit so that we have the power and the ability to turn away from sin and to choose Jesus. But yet there's still times in our flesh when we will fall and we will need forgiveness from God, which we have in Christ. Only when we get to heaven will we have true perfection in him. So a hypocrite is not someone who falls into sin or someone who commits a sin. That's not what a hypocrite is. You see, a hypocrite in ancient times was used to describe an actor who would put on a mask and walk on stage to play a part in a performance. And he would wear the mask and he would act out his role and do things very differently on stage than, of course, he would do in his life. And then when he would come off a stage after the show was over, take off his mask, take off his costume, put on his regular clothes, he would go out in the world and really live a complete different life because he wasn't on stage anymore. Well, you see, that's the essence of what a hypocrite is. It's a person who, around some, they wear a Christian mask. They talk about the gospel. They have a knowledge of the Bible. They attend church. They use Christian language. Maybe they rebuke others because of how they're living. But when they're away from their Christian friends or away from the church, then the mask comes off. And they start living differently. They start living like the rest of the world. They live like those who are lost and they accommodate themselves to what is not true. And it's not because they're no longer a Christian or because they don't believe in Christ anymore. It's just that they start living to match up with whoever they're around, not being fully committed to what Christ has called them to do in that sense. That is the essence of hypocrisy. And you see, believing in the gospel is much more than just claiming that you're a follower of Christ. It's certainly a lot more than just having your name on the role of a church. It's much more than just agreeing that the theology and the principles found in the Bible is true. A true follower of Christ, someone who is born again in the Holy Spirit, has been freed to walk in the newness of life through the gospel, is a person who is committed to doing what Christ says to do every single day. They're committed to living for Christ in all situations, around all people, in all circumstances. They don't pretend to be a Christian in front of some and then act like they're not a Christian in front of others. It's a person who's faithfully committed. And you see, the, the thing about hypocrisy is that it's not just for unbelievers, because there are a lot of unbelievers who believe they're Christians and they're really hypocrites. It's not just for those who are not mature in the faith, because a lot of immature Christians live like hypocrites. 
But there's even times that faithfully committed believers can fall into this drift of hypocrisy. There's times that the devil can tempt us in certain ways and in our flesh we can take our eyes off of Christ and start looking to the things of the world and we can be tempted to start living out things that are not aligned with the gospel. And that's exactly what we see happening in the life of Peter here in Galatians chapter 2. You see, Peter and Paul, outside of Christ, Peter and Paul are two of the most important figures in the New Testament. We know that both of these men were born again in Christ and had received the Holy Spirit. They were both commissioned as apostles to take the gospel, one to the Jews and the other to the Gentiles. They were both given the power to do miracles and to have authority over the churches. And all the churches respected these two men as their leaders. In fact, both were equally highlighted in the book of Acts as one half of Acts is about the ministry of Peter, the other half is about the ministry of Paul. And between the two, they wrote a number of New Testament books for all of us to continue learning by today through their epistles. But there was a time in their life when both of these two incredible leaders clashed together. And it was a result of Paul rebuking Peter over something that he was doing in hypocrisy. It was a time when both of these leaders came together and Paul told Peter that he was wrong in how he was living and needed to get it right because he was acting like a hypocrite. It was a very tense time that we see in the scriptures. And it was all when Peter was making a visit to the Gentile churches in Antioch where Paul and Barnabas served as pastors. You know, the story that we're going to look at in just a few moments today is a strict reminder of the dangers of hypocrisy of how it can come upon any of us, how all of us could be guilty of getting into this type of life that God forbids. And it also shows us the dangers and the fallout and how that it can infect the entire church and even the community around. And then we also see a method for how to deal with it inside the church. So today I want you to notice these important truths about hypocrisy and about walking in line with the gospel. And I've divided this passage into three headings. And I want to begin by allowing you to see the tragic sin of hypocrisy. The tragic sin of hypocrisy. What exactly was it that Peter did that was so tragic that it warranted a rebuke from the Apostle Paul? What I want you to notice here, what it says in verse 11. The story begins, it says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, Cephas was the Aramaic name of Peter. It's what he was known by in many Jewish circles. And after hosting Paul and Barnabas and Titus in the passage that we looked at last week, he hosted them in Jerusalem. We know that Paul probably told him a lot about how great the churches were growing in these Gentile countries and how that Antioch had become a great center for the local church there. And he wanted Peter to come and to see all that was happening in these churches. So Peter decides to leave Jerusalem and travel to Antioch. Now, Antioch was a church that was located in the city of about 250,000. The city of Antioch had 250,000 people, and to our best knowledge, only about 25,000 people there were Jews. So there was about a 10 to 1 ratio of Gentiles to Jews. So it was heavily populated with Gentiles or Greeks. 
And after Paul and Barnabas had a lot of success here with the gospel ministry, this entire city really came a Christian center in the Gentile world to where this church was one of the most important headquarters for the ministries of Paul and Barnabas. So it was a great place for Peter to visit to get a feel of what was happening in the churches. But but Paul says here that when Peter came, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. You see, after Peter arrived there, the language indicates that he stayed for a while. It was a visit of length. And there was a certain day that Paul felt the need to stand right up into Peter's face and oppose him. The word literally means to stand against him in defense of something that he was doing that was threatening. And it says that he was opposing him because he stood condemned. The NIV translates it as that he was in the wrong. So Peter was guilty of something before God that Paul had noticed, something that was very serious, that he needed to verbally and publicly confront him about. So what was all of this about? Well, look in verse 12. It says, For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Now, after Peter had been there for a while, we understand that he began to fellowship and to enjoy the presence of all the Gentiles. In fact, he says here that he was eating with them, and the the word in the Greek is imperfect, which means that this was a regular, continual activity, that Peter would sit down with all these Gentile believers at their tables. He would eat supper with them. He would fellowship with them. It was likely that he would teach them and, and, and talk to them about many things, and he really got to know them well and became like a close friend. We know that in, old, in, in ancient times that they would have fellowship meals in local churches or what they would call love feasts where people would cook things at home and they would bring it to the church for everyone to share in after they would have a worship time together. It's a lot like what we have as potluck dinners today when we all join together with our food and eat. And Peter would have been right in the middle of all of these people. And could you imagine of how incredible this would have been for Peter to visit with these people? I mean, this was a man that walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. This was a pillar of the local church, the early church. And now these Gentiles who had just come to know Christ through faith in him were able to sit down with this legendary apostle that was so important to the Christian church. You see, Peter had not always been a part of such fellowship, though. Before Peter placed his faith in Christ, he was really not able or allowed to even mingle with the Gentile people. You see, according to the Old Testament, Jews were not supposed to be in fellowship with Gentiles. They certainly were not supposed to sit down and eat with them because Gentiles were unclean and their food was unclean. And for a Jew to sit down to fellowship and to eat and mingle with Gentiles would have led to their contamination. It would have led to them being corrupted by these pagans as they were known. But you see, Peter didn't have to live by those laws anymore. The gospel changed everything. When Jesus proclaimed the gospel and and he told them what it was all about, he allowed Peter and the rest of the apostles to know that there's no more such rules against Jews and Gentiles. Everyone has all things in common in Christ. We don't have to celebrate or honor any more dietary laws. We don't have to honor the Old Testament ceremonial laws. Christ fulfilled all of those things. We can simply love people of other cultures, have fellowship, eat with them, encourage them, teach them, spend our time with them. That's the reality of the gospel. And that's what Peter believed. You see, there was a time when Peter was having trouble with this very thing. 
God had called him to go to the Gentile people, Cornelius, and to, and to minister to them. Peter was having a hard time with it. It says in Acts chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, that there was a day when Peter fell into a trance and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down from its four corners upon the earth. He says, in this sheet were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And then there came a loud voice to him, from God saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. This was the Jewish way of thinking. But the Lord said back to him in a voice, a voice came to him again a second time and says, what God has made clean, do not call common. God was telling him that now that Christ has fulfilled his earthly mission, that the Gentile people are able to be included with all of the Jews in Christ. And there's no more of these laws that separate us. You can go and minister in fellowship with all of them regardless. Paul says the same thing in Galatians 3.28. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is the gospel. And Peter understands this apparently. Because when Paul goes to see him in Jerusalem along with Barnabas and Titus back in uh, earlier part of chapter 2, you remember they didn't make Titus become circumcised. In fact, they handed the right hand of fellowship out to these brothers and said that they understood their calling. They were welcome to be with them. One, they were going to reach the Gentiles. The others were reaching the Jews. And everything was great. There was no need to make these Gentiles into Jewish people in order to fellowship with them. That was something that Peter believed in, that he trusted in. Peter was living in gospel freedom. But while he was fully engaged with these Gentiles at the table, it says that certain men came from James. They all of a sudden showed up. These men came from Jerusalem. He calls them members of the circumcision party here in verse 12. And we know these men to be a group of false teachers who were Judaizers. And they insisted that Gentiles were still unclean. They were still unwelcome. And they needed to be circumcised. They needed to follow all the dietary rules and laws. They needed to follow the Old Testament customs in order for them to be considered in Christ and able to be fellowshiped with. It's like what it says in Acts chapter 15 verse 1. Luke reports about these very men. He says, some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers that unless you are circumcised according to the laws or customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. And to beat all these men, these false teachers, these Judaizers, came claiming to be from James, another apostle. And we know that this is not true, that they were only saying they were from James, because nowhere in the, in the New Testament does James ever go along with what they're saying. In fact, there's two places that James says the opposite of what they were saying. So they were just trying to use James as a means for having authority. But notice what happens, and this is where the main problem comes in for Peter. As these men arrived and they saw that Peter was eating with the Gentiles and Peter noticed them, it says here in verse 12, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now, this is the main problem. Peter was having dinner with these Gentiles. He saw these Jewish false teachers coming, those who he knew back in Jerusalem. And he became so fearful of their mockery, of their ridicule, of, his, of him losing his prestige with all of these people, that he actually gave in to the way they believed, forsaking what he believed to be true, got up and removed himself from the table of these Gentiles and ate somewhere else. 
In fact, the language here, when it says that he drew back, it's actually used in a way that means that it was embarrassing or an awkward withdrawal. It was something that Peter was slow to do because he loved these people, but his pride and his fear got in the way so that he started listening and trying to obey what the false teachers were saying rather than what he knew to be true in the gospel. And that is hypocrisy. Could you imagine these four Gentiles, what they were thinking? I mean, this was a celebrity apostle. This was the man who taught them so much about the gospel. And they're probably thinking, Peter, why are you getting up? Why are you acting like we're unclean? You were just teaching us that we're all one in Christ. Why would you give in to what these false teachers are saying? Peter was filled with hypocrisy. You see, this is nothing new for Peter, though. If you remember back in the time when Peter was walking with Christ, it says in Luke chapter 22, verse 54, that after Jesus was arrested, a servant girl, seeing him, saw him in the light and looking closely at him said, this man, Peter, was also with Christ. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. So Peter is used to hypocrisy. He's done it before. He, he did it here and he's likely to do it again. Something needs to stop him before he leads to more disaster. You see, Peter began hiding his true faith so that he might be accepted by those who had no faith. That is the essence of hypocrisy. You know, isn't that where we fall into today in in the hypocritical times that we get into? Is that we are living for Christ. We're living as believers. We claim to have been born again. We're part of the church. We know the Bible. We fellowship with others. But then in culture, when we get around other people, it could be people at work or family or classmates or somewhere else, we get around these people, people who don't believe the same things that we do, people who are living like the world. And rather than standing up for Christ, rather than living for him, walking as he would call us to walk, we become ashamed of the gospel. We become ashamed of Christ. And we start living in a way that mimics what they're doing more than what Christ did. That is hypocrisy. And that's exactly what Peter did. I won't forget several years ago when I was in another place of ministry, we had a big fish fry at the church that we were at and there was a great crowd and it happened to be the same time that there was a Georgia football game on the radio. And there was a group of people who were listening to the game and they were all decked out in their red and black and had their Georgia clothes on like many of you do. And then there was another group that was, they were not for Georgia, but they were just kind of listening to the game as well. And the Georgia fans were just really rooting and talking about how great Georgia was and had all their clothes on. But then Georgia started losing. And I remember that throughout the game, they started losing really bad in this particular game. And one of the guys that was doing all the rooting and everything for Georgia, he, and I'm not joking, he slowly started zipping up his jacket, covering up the logo of the Georgia Bulldog that was on his shirt. It was amazing to see that. He was so shy, kind of stepped back and was zipping up his coat so nobody would see his Georgia. And then he would walk off because he didn't want to be around to hear all the taunting and everything. But isn't that the same thing that we do as believers? When we are around unbelievers, many times we become intimidated. We become ashamed of the gospel and ashamed of Christ. So we take the zipper of our flesh and we zip it up over our spiritual identity on the inside. So that we're not living like followers of Christ. We want to get involved in what the things the lost people are doing. Because we are suffering from hypocrisy. That is what we see. And it happens at work and at school. It could even happen here in the church at times if we're trying to impress or, or live like someone else. 
But you know, this passage really speaks to us in, in two ways. There's a very specific application we see here. Then there's a very general application. The specific application is that the gospel declares that all people who trust in Christ are one in him. All people. It doesn't matter about the social boundaries that our culture has placed in our lives today where we have boundaries and dividing lines based upon race, upon ethnicity, upon income levels, upon levels of education or where you live or what you have, all of those types of things. That doesn't matter in Christ. All believers are common in him. And we should accept and love everyone that's in the family of God all the same. That is the application that we see here. Peter was not willing to do that. He was, he was acting like a hypocrite. He was saying there's still lines of divisions and different things, and I want to be on this side and they're on that side. That's not the gospel. The gospel says is that we're all in this together. And I can tell you today that if there is anyone in the, in, that's a believer that you would not sit down to eat with, that you would not visit with, that you would be ashamed to be seen with, you are living as a hypocrite. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that we're all to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's where we need to be. That's a very specific application. But there's a general application that I want you to see here too. It's the truth that when we only live for Christ, when it's popular, when it's acceptable, when it's honorable, when it's convenient, and we often hide our faith in Christ around others, that's hypocrisy as well. We must live for Christ in all circumstances, all situations, at all times, no matter who we're around. I remember several years ago in a place that I served, I, I would get an email from a, of a particular member of the church, and they would send me emails with funny stories and jokes and laughter and cartoons, just cute things to, to lighten up your day. And then one day I received an email from this person, and it was one that was borderline filthy. It was a dirty joke and had an ugly picture and different things, and I was really stunned that I would receive this. And then later, the person apologized and said, oh, pastor, I'm sorry for sending that to you. What it is, is I've got an email list I send to certain people, and then I've got one that I send to you and others, and you happen to get on the wrong list. Now, that's hypocrisy. You're living one way for a certain group and living a different way for another group. That's hypocrisy. And we should avoid it at all costs. So I wonder today, how many of you are truly living in a way that honors what you claim to believe? Are you truly living out the gospel at all times, at all places, in front of all people? Or are you living a double life, the life of the hypocrite, like Peter was exemplifying here? That's not walking in line with the gospel. We must walk with Christ in all things every day. But hypocrisy is not just bad for ourselves and our relationship with God, but there's also some tragic results that come from it. And I want you to see the toxic effects of hypocrisy, the toxic effects. You know, I say that hypocrisy is toxic because hypocrisy spreads and contaminates anything that it comes into contact with throughout the church and the community. It has poisonous effects that can dilute and destroy the gospel ministry. And this is what we see an example of here in verse 13. Notice that after Peter does this, it says, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So after Peter gets up from the table, he's not honoring what Christ has called him to do and that all people are equal. He's listening to the false teachers. It says that other Jews 
who were following Peter also got up from the tables, also came with him and divided themselves against the Gentiles. Other Jews, these, were, these could have been other leaders, they could have been church members, they could have been some of the deacons or teachers, it could have been any of the Jews that were believers in Christ. They removed themselves, like Peter did, following after his lead. Even so much that it says that even Barnabas was led astray. Now, Barnabas was a very faithful man. He was one of the original converts there in Jerusalem at Pentecost when the church just got started under the leadership of Peter and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Barnabas was one of the men who sold a piece of property to fund the church. That's how much faith he had in the gospel in Christ. This was a man who went on Paul's first missionary journey with him and planted all of these churches, including the churches in Galatia. This was a man who co-pastored the church at Antioch with Paul. So Barnabas was not just some weak believer in the faith. He was like a pillar of the church. And yet it says that when he saw Peter, he got up and left to follow him, rejecting what Christ had taught them all along through the gospel. You see, this is such a tragedy because Peter's sin had a domino effect. It was toxic. His sin spread all throughout the congregation and those who were there, inflicting the minds of believers to to agree with these Jewish false teachers that there were really two different types of people in Christ, the Jews and the Gentiles. And if Paul had not stepped in, this could have been a major disaster. There could have been a major split between the Jews and Gentile Christians to where there were two separate churches and two different missionary organizations and the church would have been split and it wouldn't have been glorifying to God and the gospel would not have gone out. Churches wouldn't have made it as far. I mean, this could have been a nightmare. And it shows you the toxic effect of hypocrisy. But you see, like these apostles and like these Jewish people, all of us have a major responsibility to live out Christ because other people are watching. Other people are trying to see what the faith really is and how we should live out this faith. And if we're living something other than the true faith in Christ, we are going to be misleading all types of people and make them head in the wrong direction. You see, this is like when pastors or Sunday school teachers or church leaders or others in authority fail to live out the truth in the presence of those that they're leading. They essentially will cause those who are following them, those who are in their groups, those who are looking to them for guidance, they will cause all of these people to live in a way that is not the gospel. You see, when when leaders are not serious about the gospel and they treat sin lightly, so will others who follow them. These others will have, uh, you know, they'll become desensitized to sin to the point that it's not a big deal to do things that are against the will of God because after all, their leaders are doing it. It's an amazing and tragic thing that can happen. This is why James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness because of the authority that leaders have. But it's not just for those who lead in the church. Think about parents, the effect they have on their children when they're living out a different gospel, when they're living out some other way than following Christ. Think about your friends and your family that looks to you as, a, and as an example of following Christ. If you're living as a hypocrite before them, not only are you going to be in wrong and, and, at odds with God, but you're going to set them on a course to where they will not be right with God because they think that you're living out the right way. We need to understand that the gospel and, and living, uh, living as a hypocrite has some toxic effects that tragically sometimes can't be corrected after they've been made because people really won't know how to live. So make sure that you avoid hypocrisy. 
because it will affect those who are around you. Well, this brings us to the final heading that I want you to see here, kind of a way to wrap all of this up in verse 14. It's the way to deal with hypocrisy. Since hypocrisy has such tragic effects in the church and in the home and in the community, how do we deal with it? You know, the Bible teaches us that if we fail to deal with sin, it's a sin in itself. It's a sin not to deal with sin, in other words. If we allow sin to go on in our lives, if we allow it to go on in the church, in the lives of others, then we have committed a sin for not trying to help another person or ourselves come out of that sin. And this is what I want you to see here. It happens in verse 14, is that Paul gives us a biblical example for keeping our lives, the church, and others pure when it comes to hypocrisy. So how do we do this? Well, we have to start with the right motive, with the right motive. What motive should we have? Well, notice how Paul confronts Peter in the motive that he had here. In verse 14, it says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Paul says that his main motive here was based upon the fact that they were not in step with the truth. That the gospel was being treated harshly. That it was not being treated justly. That they were not living the life that the gospel requires. It doesn't say here that Paul's goal was to embarrass Peter to humiliate him, to try to gain personal standing, or, to, or he did this because of revenge or jealousy. It says that he strictly did this because he wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel. He wanted to protect the image of the church. He wanted to prevent Peter and others from making future errors and to receive God's judgment. That was the motive that he used. And you see, if we confront someone about their sin, and we should, it has to begin with the right motive. It has to begin with love, that you love God enough and you love the church enough and you love the person who's sinning enough that you want to spare them from all the consequences that sin brings so that you would go to them in love and try to turn them around. That's what we're called to do. And some people have a hard time with that. They say, well, I don't want to go and judge someone else. I don't want to go and confront someone about their sin. Well, do you want to see God's glory suffer? Do you want to see the church get a bad reputation? Do you want to see this person face all kinds of tragic consequences in their lives because you're too afraid to go confront them with something? That's the real question. So if we want to confront someone, it must be through love and through wanting to help them and help the church and to glorify God. And that is the right motive. But we must also have the right method. Notice what he says here, that he confronted him when he saw that he was not walking in line with the gospel. In fact, if you look back at the verse 11, it says that when Cephas came, he opposed him to his face. And then it says here again, before them all. You see, Peter rebuked, uh, Paul rebuked Peter because he personally saw something in Peter's life that wasn't right. The wrong way to go about rebuking someone is when it's based on gossip or hearsay or it's based on rumors or suspicion. The only time you should go is when you have either eyewitnessed something or you have extremely concrete evidence that someone is in error. You should go when you see these things happening. And then notice he says that he went and opposed him to his face. The word actually means here literally man to man. He didn't go get a committee. He didn't go and talk about it with others. He didn't try to spread gossip or try to embarrass him in front of other people. He went straight to Peter to confront him with what had happened. And that's exactly what we need to do today. If there's someone who is in sin and our motive is right to go to them out of love for them and love for God and love for the church, then we need to go straight to them. 
because of what we have seen with our own eyes. Not because of gossip or rumors or any other way, but because of our concern for them by what we have seen. That is the right method. That's the method that Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 where he says to go directly to your brother and if that doesn't work, then start going through other people. But go to your brother. And then we finally see the right message, the right message. Notice at the end of verse 14, he says, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul was essentially summarizing the gospel message here. He was saying, Peter, if you really believe the gospel, which you gave evidence by coming here and living like a Jew among these people, then why would you turn now and cause all of these people to try to live like Jews? That's not how the gospel works. And you see, Paul wasn't quoting scripture here, but he was basing his rebuke on what scripture teaches, is that we're all free in Christ in the gospel. And he was using scripture or the truth of God as his guide. So when you go to confront someone motivated by love and you go to them in person, face to face, you need to also base your, your thoughts on what scripture teaches. Don't just share with them what you don't like according to your opinions or what doesn't work well in your life or what your preferences are. Say, brother or sister, this is what scripture teaches and I'm deeply concerned that if you keep on doing this, you're gonna harm yourself You're going to harm our church, and when worse, you're going to not bring glory to God in your life for this. I love you enough to tell you this, and I love you enough to stand by you and to help you get through it. That's what Paul did to Peter. And it really saved the church and him a lot of trouble down the road. So I just want to conclude today by saying that we as a church need to hold each other accountable. We need to make sure that each of us are living according to the gospel, that we're not living hypocritically like it can so easily happen in our lives sometimes but that we live according to the truth but I want to say to you today that if you have hypocrisy in your life today don't wait for someone else to come and confront you with it don't wait for the embarrassment of other people knowing and it getting around the church deal with it today deal with it in your own heart God already knows everything you're doing and if you sense his conviction upon you right now It's because the Spirit is telling you there's things in your life that is not right, that you need to change. Don't wait for someone else to do this to you. Get on your knees today and repent. Say, God, I know that I'm wrong. I know that I need to be living differently, but I know that your grace is sufficient, that your love is unending, that Christ's sacrifice is complete, and I want to turn from this sin today, and I want to begin following you once again. That is how you deal with hypocrisy in your own life, knowing that you'll be forgiven. But you know, living for Christ is all about surrendering to the gospel. And the reason that many people can't live out the gospel is because they don't have the Holy Spirit in their heart to begin with. They don't live for Christ because they don't really know him. And they feel guilty when they hear passages like this preached and they feel guilty, but there's no power to really change their lives. That only comes with you surrendering your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if you know that you are guilty of sin, that you don't have a Christ in your life, that if you will just turn from your sins, believing that his death on the cross was sufficient to save you and that you can have eternal life in him and then you give your life to Christ as an act of faith, then he will save you from your sins. That is the hope that we have in the gospel today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this day of worship that we've had together. And I thank you for this church family that we can join together to understand your word, to understand the truth of scripture and the importance of living out the gospel. 
And Father, I pray for strength today. I pray, Lord, that you would help me and the rest of these members and others who are here, that you would give us your grace and mercy so that we might be able to live out every day the message that you've called us to live out. And Lord, I thank you for just this time that we have here in the end when we can respond to you. And I pray, Lord, that if there's any type of repentance that needs to take place, that, Lord, that you would just allow it to happen at this time. And Lord, we give you the glory for all that you're doing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close.